Tenekoto, Namai, Hairamai. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the realms of the unexplained, of the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your hosts. I'm Marianne. Thanks so much for joining me today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. Sit back, relax, let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and see what awaits us there. Hi everyone, welcome back to the second episode of Season 9. It's really lovely to have you here with us today. Myths and legends, we hear those terms frequently, but what are they really and are they the same thing? Basically, a legend contains some facts, but over time becomes exaggerated, often to the point that real people or events take on a larger, larger than life quality, A myth is a story that isn't supposedly based on fact, but is actually more symbolic than anything. Sometimes, though, in my opinion, the line between myth and legend is sometimes very blurry and indistinct. Every single culture in this world has their own cultural myths and legends, but some of them are actually found worldwide. In this episode, we're going to talk about some myths and legends found in the Americas, mostly. Throughout the world, though, there are stories and legends of huge, hairy, ape-like creatures that have persisted over the centuries, partly through retellings of cultural myths and legends and of actual reported sightings of such creatures. These beings go by many different names. In North America, they're called Sasquatch, or the more common name of Bigfoot. Across the Dijanozi, they're called the Yawi. In New Zealand, one of the names is the Moiho Man. On this episode's page of the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com, you can see a link to a page that has a huge list of names for this creature, so you can see that this being goes by many, many names throughout the world. So in this episode, we'll talk a little bit about Bigfoot, who many of us regard not in the realm of myth or legend, but actually as a real living being, albeit a very elusive one. Because my guest, George, is a very keen Bigfoot researcher as well. I suggest that you make yourself comfortable, get a hot or cold drink, a rug to put over your lap, if it's cold where you are, and get ready to walk into this part of the Shadowlands with my guest as our guide. Let's see where this episode takes us. Are you ready? Then let's begin. My guest today, George Lunsford, is an author and podcast host. He's done many jobs, from being a maintenance man to making explosives for the government. He was also an actor for many years doing indie feature films, 
commercials, book trailers, public service videos and even a music video. He's experienced many paranormal and unexplained events growing up, beginning as a young man with a visitation from his great-grandmother when she passed away, also during his time in the Navy at sea. George has also always had an interest in researching and studying the Bigfoot and indeed in myths and legends, so much so that he wrote four books in a legends, myth, monsters and ghost series. He did this because he wanted to share the stories he's heard and researched from all over the US with the world. He wants people to know that there is so much out in the world than in that little bubble we all live in. My guest, George Lunsford. with us today George it's really lovely to have on our podcast and uh, on this episode uh, you've been a very busy man you have five books now is it four 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 books and I've just finished your first book it's really full of legends and myths and ghost stories I hope you enjoyed it yeah yeah really good what I found particularly interesting in your first book, it's all about the states and you go through each state and share legends and stories and myths from that state. Uh, but what I found really interesting was that you simply share the legends. You don't, as a, as a general rule, put your interpretation on it. You just share it as it's told right, right. or share links, which I, I actually quite like. So really what you're doing is you're just recording the stories for posterity and letting people make up their own minds. Well, now on the regular stories for the states, I took any variations. Say one story had a couple of different variations. I put them all together into one story. Right. So we we wouldn't lose the essence of the story itself. You compiled them. So that's actually a good thing because it still preserves the basis of the story. And, of course, any witness is going to have their own version, aren't they? And it's like, what's that game that people sometimes play, Chinese whispers? Yep. So when you look at the the different Indian tribes I used in the different books, because the first one had the Cherokee, the third one had the Sioux, and the fourth one has the Inuits. Now, their stories, there's no variations to them. Mm that you read now is the same one that was told by the great 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 grandfather right and you know it's all they the the indian tribes all keep their stories much more pure and handed it's like a handed down just in a real direct way so there's no variation allowed in those stories right and it's an oral tradition isn't it with most indian 
cultures. I know it is with the Māori here in New Zealand. It was an oral tradition. They didn't have a written tradition until the European came. So that, that the stories were taught and handed down verbatim. Yep. Respect for it because yeah. it is pure. It is the pure story. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe we could start the. Well, actually, first off, let's let's talk a little bit about your background. Maybe you could tell us, George, how you came into this area of the supernatural and paranormal and things that go bump in the night, as I like to say. How did you get interested in this? Well, I've always been kind of an odd child when I was young, and. Uh, yeah, I guess the the big the the first supernatural thing that happened was uh, I was laying in my bed one night asleep, and probably around two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, something like that. I woke up because I felt something in the room, so I woke up, and my grand my great grandmother was sitting on the end of my bed, and I could see through her, so something was wasn't quite right there. Right. And I didn't get scared. I didn't, you know, it was just real calm, but I could smell her perfume. Mm. And she just wants, she said she uh, wanted to come by and tell me bye that she was going home and that she loved me. Oh. The next morning we woke up and that day we found out she had passed away like that night. Oh, wow. That's really sweet. And that's not an uncommon thing, actually. I've heard similar stories so many, mm-hmm. many times. And our loved ones will always find some way of letting us know that they're around. But that must have had such an impact on you at, at that young age. It did. It, it made me feel it made me feel sad that she was gone, but it made me feel good that she come by to tell me about. And also there would have been the the comfort that she lived on. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I've been a believer all my life. So that part of it, it was just confirmed. It was not that it surprised me, but it was confirmed that, yes, there is a heaven. Right. So then from there, you've had quite an interesting life. You were in the military for a while. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. Working with explosives. Did I have that right? Well, kind of. I went into the, the Navy and I became a gunner's mate. Right. But we had, I had some adventures in the Navy. I went to 27 different islands and countries, one war zone. Wow. Um, uh, in four years, I seen stuff in the Bermuda Triangle. I dealt with, I seen a UFO. Then I got out and uh, ended up going to work for a company called Jet Research Center, where uh, I, I started out making the explosives. I made, wow. uh, Destruct systems for Triton and Titan missiles. I made uh, penetration charges, cutting charges, oil perforators. Uh, was it in a little bit when we made the handheld bunker buster rockets, the dual detonating rocket? And uh, I went from then actual making the stuff to being a quality inspector of them. Where I actually got to blow stuff up and, and do all the measurements and all that good stuff, you know. Right. Uh, and then I left there. I did all kinds of different jobs, everything from maintenance man. I made gearboxes. I made, I did quality inspection on gearboxes. I did all kinds of different stuff. And, uh, I acted for 15 years on the side. I was an actor too. And did, uh, I made 
some independent feature films. I made some uh, commercials, music video, uh, all kinds of stuff. PSAs, book trailers, and shorts, and all kinds of stuff. And I was writing scripts while I was acting. I was writing short scripts. Right. And then I got asked by uh, a guy called me up and asked me to write a script for a uh, NASCAR guy. And uh, so I wrote this, the life story in a script form of Larry McReynolds. He was Dale Earnhardt's. I don't know if you know who these people are or not. No, yeah, don't. <laughs> but he was the crew chief for Dale Earnhardt before he, you know, when he won the Daytona 500. So, oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. Um, for any of my listeners who are into racing, they'll know yeah. who you're talking about, right? Yeah. And uh, I just decided I wanted to write books, so I started writing books. And you've written four of them, really good books. Yep. Even some a little bit later, but I'd like to. When I was researching you, I listened to a few podcasts. And on one of the podcasts, you talked about an experience you had while you were at sea with a mysterious fog. Maybe you yeah. could share that story because I'm pretty sure my audience would find that very interesting. Well, that was in the Bermuda Triangle. Ah. Uh, I was on an aft lookout. I spent a lot of time on an aft lookout, but I was on an aft lookout. And the guy in forward lookout gave me a call. He says, something, what, something's weird up here. Take a look up here. So I leaned over the side of the ship and I seen it. And over the horizon, probably the horizon is 10 miles from the ship. So over the horizon, about 12 miles, you could see a little gray spot on the ocean. And uh, we got closer to it and closer to it. We got within about five miles of it. You couldn't see the side ends of it on the sides. It went from as far as you could see on both sides and as high as you could see. Wow. And, uh, of course, I was still on aft lookout, and as the ship went into the fog bank, now fog banks is nothing unusual. They they're on the ocean a lot. Mm. This one was weird. It had a weird feeling to it. And as the ship went into the fog bank, we was moving about 10, 12 knots. And as it went in, all the electronics and electrical stuff stopped working, mm. and it started spinning. And all the way, all the way down the ship till it finally got to me on aft lookout. And while we were in the fog, the hair on your arms would stand up, and it felt like a like a charge, like electrical oh, charge. Right. You felt in your face and in your hair and everything. And as the ship come out of the other side of the fog, uh, everything come back on like it was normal. Wow. And then I look. I, I was looking around. The sh- looking around. I looked back go back to my post and it was gone. The fog bank was gone, but the water had got choppy and the sky was kind of a grayish tint. And before that, when we were outside, before we ever went in the fog, the water was was smooth. It's a beautiful day. But after we passed through that, it changed everything. Wow. So did anybody that you talked to about it, did they experience the same sort of physical reaction that you did? Everybody had that same feel to the, the electrical charge. Yeah. But nobody really talked about it. Nobody ever brought it back up after we had experienced it. Back in those days, and even today, those guys, they don't talk about stuff like that. Right, of but course. I'll say, you know, no, no, no. But 
I got a big mouth, so. <laughs> <laughs> I have talked to a couple of other sailors. Um, they were gentlemen that were on the USS Nimitz group during the the Tic Tac videos that came out, and they they oh, yeah. pretty much said the same things. You don't generally talk about stuff like this, or if you do, you make fun of. Yeah. Well, they want to discourage you constantly and. And like I said, a lot of the older guys, like I served with then, they, they, it's taboo. You don't say mm-hmm. nothing about it. the night. They don't admit it. I mean, that's the way it is. Back, it was, I mean, that was in the 80s. So right. that was a whole different, whole different world back then. Yeah, it was. Now, did you guys lose any time at all going through this fog? Uh, not that I could tell because my, I said my watch and everything didn't stop. Stop, yeah, right. We don't right. know. I don't know that we lost any time. It just, it was just a really weird experience. Nothing major. It's just different. Just different. And do you have any thoughts on the Bermuda Triangle? On because there's so much that goes on in the Bermuda Triangle. It's something that I actually haven't covered in this podcast. And there's lots of schools of thought about. And there are other triangles throughout the world, actually. The Bermuda Triangle is only one of them. But for those listeners who aren't aware, the Bermuda Triangle is an area of, uh, I don't know, so many miles going from the Bahami Islands, isn't it, to Florida, to somewhere else. Anyway, it's in, in that area, and ships have gone missing, planes have gone missing, people have experienced all sorts of electrical anomalies in that area and George's experience was obviously one of them so there's been all sorts of let me see what's the right word there's been all sorts of theories put forward about what it is ranging from electrical anomalies to things under the water that are causing these electrical anomalies pyramids and crystals and stuff like that to UFOs, to to sorry, what was that one? Methane pockets. Methane pockets. Now that's one I haven't heard. They they said that they well they believe that that has something to do with it because as the methane pockets burst, it changes the the the, the buoyancy of the water. True. So if you're on top of the water and that happens, it'll just pull you down. True. And then it changes the regular buoyancy and it's just covers you back up again. That's that's very valid for the sea, but not for the triangles that are over the land. No, I mean there's a. I don't think that there's one single thing causing it all. Mm-hmm. I think combination of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been talk of portals. There's been talk of ever UFOs coming down and snatching stuff up. Uh, but I I don't know about all that. Mm-hmm. I think there's just a really weird part of the world, just like the the dragons. Triangle over towards Japan. Uh, you got the uh, Alaskan Triangle. It's on. It's all land. Yeah. And you've got all kinds of creatures in there. You've got all kinds of disappearances and everything happens up there. Right. I haven't actually heard of. Are you talking about the Alaskan one or the Chinese one? Uh, the I was talking about the the Alaskan one last. Okay. I hadn't actually heard about that one. I I heard about the Chinese one, but that's really interesting. There are, of course, schools of thought that there are portals 
And yeah, it's really, really a very interesting subject. And I remember I first heard about the Bermuda Triangle many, many decades ago in the 70s, I think. And it really fascinated me. And I remember reading one chap's experience where he was flying his plane and he had this whiteout and just everything whited out and he couldn't see the horizon, he couldn't see the, the sea or the light, the sky, or, and they don't know what caused it. But obviously he made it safely home because he was telling the story. But I remember <laughs> that caught my interest. Yeah, I was unaware that that was in the Bermuda Triangle. I must have missed reading that when I read it, when I listened to it, because uh, I was actually doing stuff while I was listening. So, yeah, that's okay. really interesting. How long were you at sea for, actually, as a sailor? Uh, I was in the Navy for four years. Four years. You would have seen a few things during your time at sea, I imagine. Oh, yeah. The weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. Just so you know, your voice keeps going in and out. How's that? Is that better? Yep, that's perfect. Have you had any other experiences that you couldn't explain while you were in the Navy? Uh, the biggest one was probably a UFO we've seen in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. It was in the ocean or above the ocean? Well, when we seen it, it was about eight miles away from the ship. And all you could see was like a, like a circle of lights. Right. And uh, radar never seen it. Uh, sonar never seen it. Nothing oh. ever. Electronics picked it up at all. But we watched it. It would stay. It would stand stationary. And it would go back and forth. And then forward back and then back and forth. And it stopped. And it kept doing this on motion. So for, for a little while, I mean, we watched it for almost five minutes. Wow. And then all of a sudden that thing was, it shot straight up in the air. And that was it. I mean, it was, it was just a really strange thing. It was most like it was searching something. Wow. That would have been really, that would have been really interesting. And of course, back then you wouldn't say a word about it. It wasn't reported, not like today where they just brought on that it's okay for people to report their sightings so that's yeah. a big turnaround for the navy so you guys had to carry did you was there any sort of debriefing for you guys that had seen it no not really it happened about it was like another one of those late night things that happened right so there was a man on the crew of the uh on the bridge there was a two couple of lookouts and i was one of those and that was it i mean that's all that would have seen it Right. I know me and the forward lookout seen it for sure because we were talking back and forth and asking combat systems if they seen anything and they kept saying, No, there's nothing out there. We're in the we were in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. There was no other ships around, there was no other planes around, nothing. Wow, that's really, really interesting. Very interesting. So that would have been a bit unsettling, I imagine, for a while. It was a trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, for, see, for me personally, I'm I've seen UFOs my entire life. I've had experiences with beings. So mm -hmm. for me, it's you know, but for somebody who's who's who doesn't have that, it's quite can be quite like a life-altering experience. Actually, it makes you question what you know is reality. I'm I'm too hard-headed for that. Yeah. <laughs> <You are. laughs> to your books then what made you start to write books about the subjects that you cover and then maybe we could get on to to some of 
your favourite stories, cryptozoological creatures you've covered and ghost stories that you've covered? Okay. Uh, well, when I was young, we only had three channels on the TV and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So we'd talk to our grandparents and our parents, and they would pass down stories to us of, of, the, of the area you know, we grew up in. Right. They'd tell us different things. Like we have the Brown Mountain Lights, or we have uh-huh. Helen's Bridge, just different stories about these areas. And as kids, you know, we were ambitious. <laughs> so we would go to these places and see if we could see it. Right. And we just we just don't have that anymore. People's too busy with their phones or or TV or or their tablets or whatever. And I think I wrote the books so people could pass these stories on to their their kids and right. their grandkids and stuff like that. Because that's we're lacking bad now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Stories aren't passed on. I I agree with you. Speaking about the Brown Mountain Lights, I lived in North Carolina for a number of years. I was married and I lived in a little town called Waxhaw near Charlotte. And some friends and and my husband and I went to go and see the Brown Mountain Lights because I wanted to see them. You know, I was fascinated by legends and stories and myths. And I said, well, can we go and see them? I'd really like to see them. So we we started going up the mountain and this fog came in and mm. I have never, ever been in a fog that thick in my life. It was absolutely terrifying. I was terrified, not for any creature in there, but the fog, you just literally could not see a foot in front of the car. It was that, that dense. And I think we drove about, we just turned around. Oh, my friend and her husband got out of the car they walked off down a little ways and they came running back because they were terrified by something that they heard in the bush or the forest or whatever you call it over there. So we came and locked the car, turned the car around and started, uh, actually my girlfriend, Sarah, started driving the car back because the guys couldn't see. I couldn't see. She was the only one who could actually see to drive the car. It was flat. It was scary. (laughs) So I never got to see them, but it was a really scary experience nonetheless. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I like that. But it was, it was deep in the bush, as as we would say here in New Zealand. So it was like way out in the country where we were. Oh, yeah. It's a crooked old road. Yeah, it was very windy. The windy road didn't bother me because New Zealand roads are very windy. We're a small country and, you know, I'm used to driving like my husband and I went to visit the Cherokee reservation one time and he was terrified of the roads because you know it was oh for me it was just like driving in New Zealand I was really happy but I was quite comfortable but he was terrified well that's where I'm at I'm in the mountains that's for sure you married a lovely Cherokee lady is that correct half Cherokee she's half Cherokee and and you start your first book with some Cherokee legends maybe we could talk a little bit about those oh I love those I love the you got the Sukalu, which was a Cherokee Bigfoot. You've got the Ravenmocker, who is a shapeshifting wizard, basically. Uh, Spearfinger, she's a shapeshifter uh-huh. elemental. Her skin is actually right. like granite. Uh, then you got the little people. The little I love people. The little people. They're fun. What was the name for the little people? I just I always call them little people. I don't remember all right, right offhand. 
<laughs> oh, okay. I was wasn't going to try and pronounce it because I butcher the pronunciation. I, mean, I do. <laughs> I was looking up legends for New Zealand so I could be ready to talk about them. I couldn't even read them. I was like, I don't know what this says. <laughs> So funny. Well, we call the little people in New Zealand, which are pretty much the same. Every country has got their own version. In New Zealand, we call them the Patapaarehe or the Turihu, and those are the Maori names for the fairy folk, yep. which are pretty much the little people. I read in your book that there are four or four different varieties: the rock ones, the water folk. Have I got that right? I think if, if I remember right, it was the rock, the the stone people, yeah, the wood, uh, ground, and water. That's right. And they all they all do different things. Some of them are mischievous, and some of them are try to help you the kids and stuff out in the woods. And there's just little. They all have their little personalities in the stories. Right. The and, you know, the funny thing is I talked to some of the elders out there in Cherokee because I'm, I'm in Cherokee all the time. So I was talking to the elders, and there's a story that when they were doing some renovations out there, getting ready to put a new building up, when they went to dig the footings, they actually found tunnels and little bones. Oh, really? Yep. Wow. So what did they do? I wrote a whole book about just the little people. Did they? What did they do when they came across them? Did they just close it up and and move on? Like were they respectful? They were respectable. They they kept building the building, so they like removed the bones. And I, I'm I'm assuming that they did a burial ritual with them, right? You know, because they want to. There's a lot of the elders out there that still have very strong beliefs in the legends. Yeah, well. For me personally, I don't believe that the little people, the fae, the fairy folk, whatever you want to call them, are legends. I actually feel that they are real beings, that at one stage they had more interaction with humanity than they do now. Yep. But people still see them. And actually, I can't speak for where you live, but here in New Zealand, we're getting more and more sightings. Mostly out in the bush where they live. We get a lot of signs here of a lot of different of the, the cryptids. Right. It's like they're more, they're coming out more and more and stuff. So, I mean, we're taking their property, so they're going to have to come out more. So, you know. Absolutely. And your Bigfoot, who goes under a lot of names now, I, I think I had written some of them down, oh, like the skunk ape, although that was possibly initially an escaped monkey but there's a scumpake there's the um bigfoot sasquatch in australia he's called the yaoi in new zealand he's called the moiho man so he's all over the world yep every country has a bigfoot creature absolutely and that's really interesting because you would think if it was a legend that isolated countries like ours here in new zealand wouldn't know about such creature well i still believe i still lean to the fact that i believe that they were a, a race of giants at one time the, all over the world and i still believe that that's what bigfoot is he was it was that race of giants that were attacked and and by the newer people coming in like the chair like the choctaw and all that 
they run across the white giants here in America when they had the land bridge, when they crossed over from Asia. Well, when they crossed over from Asia, they come in in such numbers and they run into the white giants and the white giants were cannibals. So they were scared of them. So they attacked them. And the legend referred to it as great numbers is what they refer to the attacks mm-hmm. on the, to get rid of them. And it talks about how they were either killed or they disappeared into the forest. And if you, if you look at the world, but I, especially right here in America, we have a thing called the Mammoth Caves up in Kentucky. Right, right. Yes, I've heard about them. Hundreds of miles underground. Mm-hmm. There's rumors that they connect with other tunnel systems around the world. If that's true, then they could go into those tunnels and end up anywhere in the world. I've actually heard, speaking about the giants, you brought to my mind um, some stuff that I was reading recently about recent U.S. military encounters with such beings in Iraq. Afghanistan, that's right, Afghanistan. And I'd actually really, if if anybody out there who's listening to this knows of any of the military who were part of this, I would really love to talk to them. I can do it anonymously. but Apparently, a couple of the platoons came across such beings, and they were cannonballs, and they destroyed. Apparently, what I recall reading is that the military were really shocked at how fast these beings could move, and a number of the men were killed, impaled on the creature's spear. Well, on this being's spear, and ultimately, one was taken down and taken back to the states i believe that's what the story is yeah yeah i don't know i haven't i haven't been able to confirm it with anybody that was there yet yeah (laughs) i would love if anybody was a part of that i would absolutely love to hear about it for sure because i've heard about it from a number of different sources now not just one source Mm -hmm. you know but it's like chinese whispers it's trying to track it down that's the thing but that would be Really, really interesting. Let's talk a bit about then that, what was that woman with the claw? What was her name again? Spear finger. Sorry? She had a long finger with real yeah. sharp on the end of it. Yeah. I love it. It's one of my favorites. You're cutting, you keep cutting out. Sorry about that. That's okay. I think you're when I get excited. I don't know why. <laughs> are, you, are you on your phone, are you? I'm on my phone, yeah. My oh, computer okay. real great. So I think I'd it be, might be might be when you turn your head. Have you got headphones on? No. No, no headphones. Oh, I thought it might have been something to do because I notice it's when you turn your head it fades out. But okay, so what was her name again? Her name is Spearfinger. Spearfinger, that's it. So yeah. maybe you could share that story with my listeners. That's really quite an interesting one. I'll give you the cut down version. How's that? Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> uh, Spearfinger was an evil creature. And the Indians all feared her. But what she did is she was able to change herself, shape shift a little bit, and come across as a little old woman. Well, there were some kids playing on the, up on the mountain. And she uh, was talking to them. And they, they felt like they were lost. They were crying, upset. So she got to them and she told them, it's okay. You guys can go to my my hut and I'll we'll go get the the Braves, the, you know, the other Indians come and get you. And she was walking the map. That's probably three, four kids. 
and she was walking them back to her hut when one of the little girls seen something that was not right and she took off. She escaped. Well, the rest of the kids were pushed into the hut by Spearfinger. Well, the little girl made it back down to the Braves and she told her story. And so the Braves took her in front of the chief and the chief went to the medicine man and said, I need you to make something where I can pierce her skin because her skin was like rock granite. Right. And uh, so the, the a medicine man went there and mixed some stuff up and they dipped all their arrows and spears into it. And they went hunting for a uh, spear finger. Well, when they was hunting for, she, she heard them coming. So she jumped out of her cabin and she was running across the hills when they were chasing her. She ran into a, 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 another stone man. And she said, help me, help me, help me. He said, nope, you made your bed. You got to sleep in it. He wouldn't help her. So she got mad at him, but she kept on running because I was getting closer. And she fell in a big pit in the middle, up in the woods. Well, when she did, the chief and all the braves surrounded the pit. They started firing the special arrows and throwing spears and everything. They looked down there and she wasn't moving and she looked dead. So in celebration, they took off. They went back to the camp, back to their uh, village. And uh, the chief didn't quite feel he felt something was wrong mm-hmm. so he some of the braves back up to bring back her body they got up there and she was gone she escaped she escaped and she had this habit of eating livers that's what yep. she lived on she got long finger and she would cut the kids open that long finger and pull their livers out and eat them yeah, yeah, so that's a very interesting cautionary tale for children. Yep. And then we have the boo hag. Now, what's the boo hag? The boo hag, the story of the boo hag actually comes from West Africa. And it came over with some of the, the when they brought the slaves over. Right. And after the slavery thing is over with, a bunch of the, uh, they're called gullahs, stayed Gullah. in Charles. Right. And uh, we, when I was a kid, we'd go to Charleston all the time. And we would talk to them and find out about the best fishing spots, stuff like that. Well, the story is the boo hag is a uh, evil entity. And it wears human skin. Ah. What it does is it during the day, you wouldn't know it from anybody else. But at night, it goes into its house and it peels off the skin and goes out looking for victims. So if it, if it comes into your house, it would come in your house and it would walk around your room and then get up on your chest and start pulling your life out, your life uh, essence out of you to feed it. Right, right. But back in its human skin before daylight or it just disintegrates. So what it does, it comes in, it so, does so much every night so it gets all your essence. And it takes over your skin. Well, well, there are certain ways you can stop the boo hag. You can do salt around your bed, and the boo hag can't cross the salt. But that's messy, so you don't really want to do that. Mm. You can paint all the entrances inside your house that comes into your house, the windows, the doors. Do indigo blue paint around each one of those, and it can't cross it. Oh, okay. That's interesting. 
or because the boo hag is neurotic, you can take a brush or a broom and put it in your room. And if a boo hag sees that, it has to count every single bristle. Oh. <laughs> so if it's counting bristles and it gets close to daylight, and it, it, it has to finish before it can leave. So it'll finish that. And if it don't get home before daylight, it, it disintegrates. Right. Oh, that's really interesting. I've heard of some vampire stories with a, 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 a compulsive obsessive like that. If you throw rice or grains of sand, they have to stop and count them as well. Oh, that's really interesting. Very, very interesting. So she actually goes on then to sleep paralysis and the other name for it is riding the witch. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, you, you guys had something over in, over there in Australia down below you happen here recently, I read, where they found bones of, uh, of a, a species of humans that were the size of hobbits. Oh, I vaguely remember hearing something about that. Yeah. They found a bunch of them. I mean, they found like, uh, I think they said there was five full bodies, something like that. I know of the ones in Peru, but they had different head shapes. But that that reminds me of the Menahuni in in Hawaii, Mm -hmm. the same species, I imagine. (laughs) I just just read about this the other day. I have to do some research on that. Now, another one of your stories that really caught my eye was the story of the white dog and the salesman. Oh, yeah. That, that's a good story. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Would you mind sharing that? Sure. I'll give you the 50 cent version again. <laughs> that's the way I remember things. So That's all I, right. There was, uh, this was back in the late 1800s. Uh, and there was a man going around doing door-to-door salesman. And he kept a white German shepherd with him to, for protection and for company and everything. Right. He was in a small town in South Carolina. And the, to get into town, you had to go through a crossroads. And at the crossroads, there was a church on one side, a graveyard on the other, a big oak tree on one corner, and on the other corner there was nothing well he went through that and was in town in there at the different houses selling his products well somebody got murdered and they they naturally just accused the salesman because he was the only stranger in town right so they went over and they grabbed him and they took him out was going to hang him at that big tree put the noose around his neck put him up on the horse and the dog was pitching a fit. It was going, it was barking and growling and trying to attack people. Well, they shot the dog and it fell down at the feet of the horse that the guy was on. And they smacked the horse and the guy hung. They hung him right there. And his dog crawled basically underneath his feet before it died. Well, I think it was that evening. No, it was uh, three days later. They had still been left, they left him in the tree. So three days later, another murder happened, and they found out that it was one of the kids of the guy that was that was one of the lynch people. Oh. His kid off and killed somebody else. So they arrested him and took him away. Well, they felt so bad and so full of guilt. 
they went back to where they hung him and they was going to take his body down and bury him as respect for because they killed the wrong man. Right. They got back and, you know, there was much left of him. And the dog's bones wasn't there and the dog wasn't there. It was gone. So they took what was left of the guy down They put, and they buried him in that cemetery. Well, each one of the people that was on that lynch mob had kids or a family member disappear. And each one of the, each one of those cases, there was a white dog seen with them. And the last guy, the, the head guy, the one that, that wanted the ones in charge, he was sitting at his desk and he seen his, his daughter, his little daughter come out of the house and she went up to this little hill, this little knoll. And she was standing there looking off, looking over it. He's like, something ain't right. So he, he opened the wind and hollered at her, but she never turned her head. And then all of a sudden this white German shepherd walks up beside her and he takes her down the hill. And as soon as she got out of sight, he come running out of the house, went running up there and she was gone. There was no trace of her at all. Very interesting. It was like retribution from the grave by yeah. this dog. Of all the legions, uh, let's go crypto first. Of all the cryptozoological stories you've covered, what is your favorite one? Uh, I'm a Bigfoot fan. I really am. I'm going on a Bigfoot hunt at the end of the month. I'm just, I, I've, I just, Bigfoot's been around me more than as far as movies and all that. Right. And I, I just, I love the, I love the, the creature itself because it never really attacks anybody. No. I mean, it throws rocks and stuff like that, but there's no, there's very few cases of a Bigfoot actually attacking anybody and killing them. No, I've heard, I, I did interview a chap a few seasons ago who does Bigfoot hunting. He has a Bigfoot hunting group in your area, I think. He got into it because he and his mate were camping and a Bigfoot threw rocks at them mm -hmm. around their tent. Didn't hit them, just threw rocks around them, let them know that he was around. And I've certainly heard of that happening. I've heard of trees being thrown, but I've never heard of anybody actually being hurt by one, which says a lot. I've heard of people being rescued. I've heard of a person yeah. being rescued by them. But, yeah, I've never heard of anybody actually being hurt. So you're going on a at the end of the month? Yes, ma'am. Guy called me up and he had a he found a footprint beside his house. Wow. And it, it was like right at 16 inches long and almost like six to eight inches wide. Wow. So it's a big one. Yeah, that's big. And does he live near the woods, I presume? Oh yeah, he lives right in the middle of them. So Oh, okay. Well then I have heard I heard of a case of a woman who puts fruit out for them. She lives in the woods too. She puts fruit out for them, apples and stuff, at the edge of her yard, and they come and collect it. I would probably do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's going to be something that you're really looking forward to to doing then. I'm hoping team at least. Yeah, that would be really cool. Be interesting to hear how you guys get on. Now, as far as ghost stories go, and you've covered a lot of them, have you? Did you read Robert the Doll? Oh, yes. I've actually covered Robert the Doll in an episode that I did on Haunted Objects. 
but he's I love that he's certainly a very interesting maybe you might like to go for for those who haven't heard about him that would be really good we'll get the short version again <laughs> uh the the little boy's name was gene and uh his his family was rather wealthy so they moved down to key west florida because of the air and and it was just you know they had a nice house built and the house was kind of a funny house on one corner it had like a it come around in a circle mm. like on a one of the corners of a castle right like a turret you know if it was there it had windows all the way around it right well the father was out at work and gene was a, had a i guess you'd call her a nanny that was from uh i guess jamaica or, or someplace like that i don't remember exactly where she was from but she was from the islands where they practiced voodoo mm. And she was the nanny, and she loved Robert. She, I mean, she loved Gene. She thought he was a really cool, you know, fun little kid. But the mother was real possessive. Mm. And she was out with Gene, and she cut a piece of his hair off because she was making a doll for him that looked a little bit like him. Right. So she took his hair. And when the mother seen her cut the hair, she freaked out. She jumped all over the nanny and everything else. And when the father got home, uh, he fired the nanny. And she just said, she asked, she asked him if she could give him her present that she had made for him. And they said, yes, then leave. So she gave him the doll. And that just tickled Gene to death. He was so happy to have this doll. And it was all his. And he could talk to his friend. And it got kind of weird because Gene would be sitting in the room and he actually started, he named the doll Robert, mm. which was his, his name is Robert Gene. And so he would talk to Robert, the doll. And one, one time his mom was coming by his room and she heard him speak and she, you know, didn't really think a whole lot about it, but then she heard another voice. Right. The other voice from the doll. So she jerked the door open and looked around and didn't see anything. And the boy was real possessive with the doll. I mean, he was like, you know, he wouldn't do anything without it. And he got to a point where his dad got so mad that the doll was always around that he took the doll, stuck it in a box, and then took twine and wrapped the box in twine and stuck it in the attic. Well, that night, they heard something in the attic father and the mom did they heard something and they heard a thump and then they heard like kids footsteps running through the attic and they thought yeah i thought gene was up there so they he jumped out of bed and she come out of the bed and they went up there and they were mad as they could be they opened up gene's room and he was asleep so they went up to the attic and they was looking around and they found the box laying on the ground with the twine all off of it and the box was open and Robert was sitting in the corner of the room. Now, I hadn't heard that one. That's really interesting. Yeah. The dad binds it back up again. He thinks that Gene's just messing with him. So he binds it up. And they send Gene off to school. So he goes to school in France and learns to be an artist. Who actually was a really well-known artist at one time. Mm. And he gets a call from his mom or a letter from his mom, not a call. Gets a letter from his mom 
and his dad has just died. And, and she basically wants him to come home. So Rob, uh, Gene takes his, he's met this woman and he's in love with her and everything else. And they come back to Key West and they walk in the house and his mama is sitting in a rocking chair. Her hair's all frazzled up and she's just shaking and she's pale as a ghost and she's just rocking and she doesn't really say a whole lot. And, you know, that's kind of, they'll kind of weird about it. And, uh, Gene, I mean, Gene walks through and he's going through the house. And uh, as his wife comes through, or his, girl, his wife comes through, he they hear Gene say, it's Robert. And he picks up the doll and the mom freaks out. She grabs the wife and say, get rid of it, get rid of it. Don't let him have it. Stay away. And after that, they were, Gene and Robert was inseparable. He would go up to that big office they had on the side with all those windows, and he would he had actually made furniture to put Gene to put Robert into right. a little rocking chair and everything else, and he would do his paintings. And every time he went and showed a painting or sold paintings or had a gallery, Robert was always with him, and his wife couldn't handle it, so she freaked out and she left. Mm. And when he died. They said that when people would walk by the house and they could see the doll in that windows watching them. You look up and see him, and you look down, look back up again. He's gone. Well, some the person that bought the house what, had different bad experiences with this doll, and so they end up the doll ended up being gave give to the uh, museum down there in Key West, and it's still there because this guy was a real famous artist. So the first night it was there, the curator was there and he was getting ready to leave. And Robert was in his little, his little glass thing on a pedestal in his rocking chair and everything. And the cleaning lady come in and the curator left. Well, the next morning the curator come back and Robert was gone. The glass thing was set over. There was little, looked like little footprints all around the room and they found him in a different room. So they gathered him back up, took him back in there, put him by everything back up. And the curator thought that the maid did it. So he jumped all over her. Right. Had threatened to fire and everything else. Well, she said, look, I, she, you know, I haven't done anything. So that night he stayed with her and she left and everything was fine. And when we went to close the door, he heard the glass move. Come back in, it was off. And there was footprints. Went to the other room, and there was Robert. <laughs> Freaking out. So now, they actually, you have to ask permission. When you walk in that museum, you have to ask Robert permission to take his picture, or you'll get cursed. Yes. I've heard, and apparently the museum has so many letters from people who didn't believe that, and they took the photo and they got home and they had this happened to them and that happened to them, and oh, that's a very, very interesting story. So the it begs the question, did the woman, when she made this, did she call in an entity to possess the doll? I think so. I think mm. she cursed the doll and she bound it because she used his hair. Right. I think she 
around it to Gene. Mm. And by doing that, you know, it would never hurt him. Yeah. It would always be effective of him. And I think that's what that's what the whole issue was. Once he died, it had no one to protect. Yeah. And I mean, now it's just sitting there. Does the museum these days still have issues with it staying in its case? Last I had read, I read a story that, you know, I'm trying to remember, Oz, Ozzy Osbourne, you know, the rock singer, yeah. down with his son, and they had a big thing. And after that situation happened with them down there, it seemed like there's been a more activity. Robert's been a little bit more active over the last few years. Oh, right. So they must have done it for the Osborne Sons show, Haunted Objects or Haunted Things. Or He, he did have a, a show on for a while where he covered, so he might have stirred things up a little bit. Very interesting. I think so. <laughs> for listeners who are listening, George, can you tell us the names of your books again? And there, for my listeners, there will be links to all these books on this uh, episode's page on the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com, where if you click on the link, you can go and purchase the book from that link. Okay. Well, the, all, all the books are named Legends, Myths, Monsters, and Ghosts, and they're broken into four volumes. The Volume one is the South edition. It covers from North Carolina all the way over to Texas and down to Florida. And it has five stories from the Cherokee Indians. And then the second one is volume two, the Northern edition. And it goes from Virginia North and Ohio East. And it actually has stories of Washington, D.C., which is not a state, it's just a region. So we pass you through stories in there, which has some really interesting ones in there. But the cool thing about number two is there's five stories in there that has already been movies, but these are the rules. You have the real story behind Jaws, the real story of The Conjuring, story of Annabelle, Haunting of Connecticut, and Amityville Horror. Oh, wow. I should have, should have got your second book and had a read of that one as well. Oh, that would be a good one. Thank you. And the third book is The Midwest which is from Kentucky to Kansas and everything, all the states north, which has Michigan, has the Michigan dog man, and has Homo mm. monster and the beast of Bray Road and stuff like yeah. that. And uh, yeah. I also have five stories from the Sioux tribe. And then I've got the Western edition, which is number four. It goes from New Mexico all the way up to Montana and everything west. And it, I, that's the last book, so I did a little bit extra with it. I did, not only did I do the five stories from the Inuit people, the people up in the, like Alaska and Northern Canada and all that. Right. I threw in seven stories from overseas. I got one from Africa, one from Vietnam, one from the UK, one from Scotland or Ireland. I don't remember which one now. I've been Ireland. Uh, Africa. Uh, there's seven of them. I can't remember all the front now. <laughs> so there's quite a, a variety in there, I would say. That's, it's very interesting reading. I have to say, very easy reading. It's not hard to read at all. Are you active on social media, George? Do you ha- have like Instagram or? Instagram, I have Facebook. Uh, 
MeWe and uh, Tumblr. I think that's all I've got. But I also have a website. Yes, my, and what's your website? My, my super beautiful and smart wife did it. She actually wrote the program for the website. Oh, well done. And it's called uh, Author George Lunchford dot x10host.com and there will be a link to that on my featured guest page for george on the featured guest page and also on first episodes page on the website the podcast website which again is www.walkingtheshadowlands.com so don't worry about writing it down if you just go to the website you can click the link and it will take you to george's website and to where you can purchase his books George, what are your social media links called? Are they linked from your website? Yes. Yes, everything is oh. on the website. Okay, cool. If you want to find out about me, I don't know why, but if you want to find out about me, i got a bio <laughs> on there. I've got uh, several different interviews is on there. Uh, my new book trailer is on there. I saw that. That's a really good trailer. Where do you go from here, George? What's your next move? Oh, also, sorry, I forgot to say, you do a podcast. Is your podcast still running? It is, but I, I have a, I, I am terrible by keeping up with it, and I have to apologize to everyone for that. I am so sorry. Uh, it's called Odd and Unusual Tales. That's a good name, Odd and Unusual Tales. Robert the Doll to... Historical facts, weird historical facts. Like, did you know that Napoleon was attacked by a horde of rabbits? <laughs> oh, gosh, that reminds me of Monty Python movie and the, the terrible rabbits. <laughs> what, what happened is Napoleon was going to go into this place, and he told his second guy in charge he wanted to go rabbit hunting, and all his men wanted to go rabbit hunting. <laughs> so they went out and they caught 3,000 rabbits. Oh, wow. Put them all in cages. Now, the idea was to open the cages and the rabbits run and they hunt the rabbits. The rabbits had a different idea. <laughs> they opened the cages and the rabbits attacked the men. That's really unheard of. <laughs> Funny. Oh, I wonder if that's where Monty Python got the idea for using that as the sketch in their movie. That was one of the funniest things in that movie was this attack rabbit. Sorry, what was that? I used to, excuse me, I used to love Monty Python. Yeah, really funny British sense of humor. That's really awesome. Do you have any more books in the works or what are your plans moving forward? I'm going to work on stories from my brain. <laughs> Good for you. Enough as it is. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I've got a, I've got one I'm working on. I've already started it. You could either call it a supernatural horror or you could call it a dark fiction. That sounds interesting. My main character, she is just rough. She's, she's tough. And she has new, unique ways of killing people. So. Oh, that sounds very interesting. Thank you so much for your time today. And if I have any encounters, I'll definitely let you know. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, George. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you. You too.
If this conversation with George has piqued your interest even just a wee bit, then check out his books. There are links to them all from this episode's page on the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. I certainly enjoyed the one that I read. Check out his website, authorgeorgelansford.x10host.com. I want to thank George again for his time and energy and his patience in waiting for this episode to actually make it to air. Today's bumper music was called Dark Trap. If you enjoy this podcast and have considered becoming a sponsor, now's a great time to join. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash mcc15 and sign up now. As the patron, you get early access to the podcast episodes and a special members-only page on the podcast website that has bits that end up on the digital cutting board and little extras like full, raw, unedited video conversations with guests, EVPs caught during the conversations, and so much more. Also, you can download full written transcripts of each episode, and you get my absolute appreciation and gratitude. Patreon.com forward slash MCC15 for just the cost of a cup of coffee a month. You can support Walking the Shadowlands and so you don't miss out on an episode, make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting apps, including iHeartRadio and Pandora as well. Also, if you have Alexa, simply say these four words, Open Walking the Shadowlands, and Alexa will play our latest episode for you. Check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, our Twitter feed, at Shadowlands10, TikTok under walking underscored the underscored Shadowlands. Like and follow for teasers of our upcoming episodes. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website, so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family. Tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also. The more, the merrier. Thanks for listening to this episode. Kakite ano oyakoi. I'll see you again. Thanks for listening. 